Well, good morning. I hope that you are here. I hope you're excited. Are you excited to be here? All right. I can see through your mask, so don't worry. I can see through your mask, and I see all of your smiles. And if you're joining us here online, excited that you're here with us today. We're going to be talking about friendship, a friendly heart. Some of you look like you have a friendly heart this morning, and so I'm going to assume that is the case. And so we're going to be talking about that. And, and so uh, do you like, do you remember the last time that you went to a movie? It was like so yesteryear, right? Like, do you, do you enjoy going to the movies? Yeah. Yes? No? Yes. Okay. I love going to the movies. It's got to be a good one. How many of you like the, uh, the Toy Story franchise? Do you like the Toy Story movies? Yes. You can applaud for Woody and Buzz. And that's great. So uh, I, I hope this doesn't make you feel old, but the, the original movie came out in 1995. And that doesn't mean you're old. It just means that uh, it's been a long time since the movie came out, right? So I, I love that when I watch that movie, though, and I hear the word friend, that song, You Got a Friend in Me, it gets stuck in my head. I mean, it's on like repeat. It's been on repeat for like three weeks now as we were getting into this series. And, and, and it gets stuck in my head, and I, and I love that song. And so I, I did a little research, and I thought maybe it was written for some other reason. No, it was written in 1995 by Randy Newman specifically for that very first movie. And it's a song. It was nominated for several awards. It ended up winning several awards. But it's a song that gets not only caught in your head, but it became the staple. They had no idea that this was going to happen. It became the staple of all four movies in that franchise and several of the spinoffs. And we hear the, the, the song in its entirety in the first movie, but then it goes on and it becomes an underscore in some other movies. And, and in some of, the, some of the end credits, you get to see some of the alternate characters sing duets of, of that song, and it's, and it's really great. But Randy Newman wrote that song, and, and, and the song is, was written... And it's talking about how one can find something in someone, and that someone is someone who stays with them through the good times, through the bad times. And that's someone you can develop an endearing relationship, endearing friendship with. I asked if I could lead you guys in a chorus of this song, and they said, absolutely not this morning. But we are going to look at the lyrics of this song. I want you to see how the lyrics, how the song goes. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said, boy, you've got a friend in me. Yeah, you've got a friend in me. Friendship. Martin Buber is an Austrian philosopher, and he said this. He said that uh, the greatest thing that any person can do for another is to confirm the deepest thing in him and her to take the time and have the discernment to see what's the most deeply there, most fully that person, and then confirm it by recognizing and encouraging it. In these next few moments, as we walk through the, the story in 1 Samuel 18, as we look at the, uh, and evaluate the friendship of David and Jonathan, I hope that in these next few moments, you will evaluate your friendships. Would you do that? Would you just examine what kind of friend you're being when we talk about some of the characteristics found in their relationship? Would you evaluate what kind of friend you're being and what kind of friends you have surrounded yourself with? I was at a conference this past Monday, and, and it was a conference for pastors and educators and, and, and youth leaders, and, and the, the message of this particular speaker wasn't about friendship. It was about soul care and, and, and coming through on the other side of the pandemic. And, and, but one of the questions that he asked is, who is your eight? And what he meant was, who are those that you're, you're closely running, running with life in and next to? Now, other authors will, will say that the magic number is five. Some will say six. Some will say it's the, the perfect number seven. 
His was eight. The, the number doesn't really matter, but the question was, who is your eight? Who are the ones that you're truly doing life with, the ones that, that come to your rescue, the ones that step into your life, the ones whose life you're influencing? He said, these are the people that you want to be at your wed side, your bedside, and your dead side. And as I started thinking through that throughout the rest of the day and the, throughout the rest of this week, I thought, what kind of friend am I being and who are those people that are in my life? And I want you, those are the people I want you to think about as we walk through this and as, as, as we look at this relationship. Let me set this passage up. The armies of the, the Philistines are on you know, one side of the valley. The, the army of the Israelites are on the other. And it's this giant, nine-foot-tall, however tall he is, Goliath that comes out and throws down the gauntlet and says this. He says, if I kill your little Israelite boy that you're going to send out here, and now at this point we know that Goliath has just like mowed down everybody he's faced, right? But if I kill that boy, the Israelites will worship me and the Philistines forever. If you kill me, we will serve you. And so it's been thrown down. And we know the wonderful story about David and Goliath as Pastor John unpacked that for us last weekend. And we know what happens, that, that, that David, David steps up to the task and he just, he just buries him. He drops him to the ground. And in that, not only does, does David kill Goliath, he takes all of his armor and takes it back to his own tent. And then he, he, he cuts off the head of this giant and he picks it up and he walks it all the way to Saul's door. Now, I would hate to be the doorman at Saul's tent that day. I don't know about you. That would be terrible. That's not an Amazon package coming. It's, it's, it's terrible. What this is, is this, is this is David saying to Saul, to King Saul, hey, we're good. I respect you. I love you. I'm, I'm serving you. This is, I just did this for you, for us. But here's how the rest of that story goes, because it's interesting, when Saul heard about this incident, when Saul heard about this victory, he didn't ask the question, well, who is this David? Who's this mighty warrior? Bring him in. I want to I talk to him. No, he said, whose son is he? And it's in this conversation that we find ourselves this morning, and we're going to talk about the qualities of true friendship. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is what it says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, his bow and, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men, all the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down this Philistine, the women came out of the, all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women, look at verse 7, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Now here's, you can see where this is headed, right? This is the song that they sang. Watch this. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is a bad, bad lyric. I don't care what form of music you put this to, country music, pop, metal, punk rock, whatever you want to, I mean, even if Taylor Swift sings a song, it's going to lead to trouble. This is the beginning, I want you to see this, this is the beginning of a never-ending an unceasing jealousy from King Saul towards David. This is where it all began, right here, right now. 
In fact, it's such a bad, bad phrase in this song, but yet you look at this verse, you see what happened. Jonathan saw what David did. He saw David's courage. He saw that David stepped up to the task. He saw that, that with one stone, David hit one target and dropped this giant. And it, 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 Jonathan fell in love with this, and, and the Bible says something happened in his heart. And so Jonathan, the scripture says, when he, and his father, when he and his father had a conversation and continued talking, Jonathan then stripped himself of the robe and gave him all of everything. And it leads us to this first quality of friendships. Our quality of friendship, according to what the Bible says, we need to have that bond, that bond of brothers. This can be a, a brotherly bond. It can be a sisterly bond. All of the language you'll find that the, the, the writer of 1 Samuel uses to describe this is like this never-ending, a strong bond between David and Jonathan that can't be broken. It's like a covenant that can't be broken except through death. And it says their souls were knit together. It says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant, which he gave him all of his robe and all these things. Now, let's talk about that covenant. A covenant is different than a contract. A covenant is, is based and rooted on promise. It's based and rooted on relationship. It implies a bond that can't be broken except through death. We can see this more clearly, as the scripture implies, when we look at the, the, the covenant and the bond that you and I enjoy with our Heavenly Father, which was also united and bonded through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and you and I is, have been adopted as sons and daughters of, of the Most High. And it's through our faith in Jesus Christ alone that we have this unique covenant and this bond. It says that God loved us so much that Christ gave himself, as Paul put in Corinthians, he gave himself up for us. You know, we're brothers and sisters, you and I. Look around you. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. You and I are brothers and sisters. And we look at the language that describes this family that's used in the Bible and all these metaphors. The church is described as a family, as a building, as a body. And all these metaphoric descriptions are all interweaved together. Here's what I mean. If we are the temple, if the church is a temple, then we are the bricks in it. If the church is a body, then you and I are its members. If the church is a family, then you and I have a place at the table. I love that. Therefore, as Christ followers, we have every reason to want to pursue vital relationships and vital friendships because of the bond that you and I share together in Christ Jesus. We are bound by this covenant. C.S. Lewis said this, the beginning of friendship looks like this. When one person says to another, what, you too? I thought, no one but myself. Have you ever had that moment at the beginning of a friendship? You find out that you have something in common, you have a common bond with someone else? Now listen, for just a second, I need to gather the men in here. We need to talk a second about pursuing friendships. Guys, let's just face it. We're terrible at this, right? Our sisters in Christ would agree, yep. We're just not good at it. We just, we just kind of hang out. We just kind of do our things and, and hope that a friendship develops. That's just kind of the way that we're wired. This is kind of a thing. We have a lot to learn from our sisters in Christ. If I said, if I'm leaving my house, and I told my wife, hey, I'm going to go to my friend Lewis's house, and we're going to work on our friendship, she would fall out of her chair. My kids would stop playing, like, Xbox and actually turn around and look at me. What are you doing? Versus if I said, hey, I'm going over to my friend Lewis's house, and we're going to grill some burgers and watch the game. Ah, that's more like you, Rob. But here's what I know. We, here's what I've learned from our sisters in Christ. They are wired. They are gifted with more, <clears throat> the ability to be more intuitive 
about which relationships to pour into, which relationships to develop, which friendships to pursue, and which ones to step back from. They just have that ability. They are just gifted with that. And so I, I try to listen to my wife. She's right over here, right? So note that down. She says, that guy that you had lunch with the other day, you need to pursue that friendship. That, that, that guy that, that you've been talking to, yeah, that's, he's good for you. You need to win. I said, what, that guy? Dude, he's a Yankees fan and he roots for the Eagles. We can never be friends, right? She says, no, he's, he's good for you. You need to pursue that. And get what? She's right. She's right. And so I find myself that the friendships that I'm in, she has, she has examined them. So we have a lot to learn from our sisters in Christ. Ladies, you're doing it right. You understand this. This is a, this is a gift. And so as we look at and examine our friendships even today, we need to realize this, that we will become like the people that we are associated with. And because of that, we have to make sure that we are pursuing friendships that are not only vital, but they're also beneficial. We need to associate ourselves with people who are in parallel pursuit. Here's what I mean. We know that wise friendships are governed by, by what? By principles of scripture. When our actions and our attitudes align with God's word, what we have done is we have built an unwavering foundation of which you and I can then build true genuine friendships upon. In fact, if, if, if God is truly, if, if we're truly in line with, with the word of God, then, then that's gonna be the topic of a lot of our conversations. I have a friend that I go to lunch with about once a month, because he's just so busy, right? But we, we hang out <clears throat> about once a month for lunch, and, and, and I get to, I mean, the, the topic of our conversation is what is happening, what is God doing? And, and we, we have to like put parameters on like what we talk about, because we just have so much to share. Listen, you can't put a price tag, it is immeasurable the value of when we share with what, what God is doing in our friendships. When we share with each other how God is moving, how God is answering prayer in my family, what God is doing in my church, what we saw, how we saw God answer prayer in our community. And to be the, benefic- the, the benefactor of that as well is we walk away encouraged. Don't underestimate the value of sharing what God is doing in your friendships, especially those that are the closest to you. One of the foundations of a strong friendship as we've examined David and Jonathan's relationship, is a shared affection and love for one another. The language is very clear about the relationship. Now I want you to think about those that you're closest to right now. God's gonna bring them to mind. When we develop real friendships, our friends know who we really are. There comes a point, right? You get to that deeper part of the relationship and they're no longer impressed with you. They see you for who you really are. They see your rough edges, they see the ugliness, and you know what, they're still there. Those are the kinds of friends that I want in my life. Those who won't leave when when things get hard. You know, think about this. How impressed was God with with us on the day that we met him? I look at my life, not very impressed. He probably had to like get some waiver sign just just to talk to me, right? Romans 5a says, God demonstrated his love for us how much he wanted to be a part of our life and the fact that, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he didn't say, hey, Rob, get cleaned up and then we'll talk about this relationship. He didn't say, hey, you got to increase your church attendance and then I'll start, I'll start showing up in your life. No, he met me where I was and he looked at me through the lens of redemption. And that's, what, that's, that's the model he gives us for friendship. We need to do the same with those that we're closest to. What blows me away about God is he, he knows everything about us. And he says, I am still here. I deeply love you. God's love for, Christ, for us in Christ models genuine friendship. 
It's, it's just a blueprint for friendship. You know, I think about how you and I sometimes, we, I think we run away. We give up too easy. We leave the friendship too fast because we think it's just too hard. It's just too much trouble. There's going to be too much effort that I have to do. Listen, if, if one thing like Michelle mentioned earlier, if there's one thing we've learned in this pandemic is the value of friendship. It's the value of, of having people that care about you. It's the value of having people that, that, are, that are doing life with you. And I think sometimes we step away and we walk away when it gets hard. And the Bible says, don't do that, pursue that. And I think, about, <laughs> I think about all that Jesus went through. As the author and perfecter of our faith, that with the joy set before him, he went to the cross for what? For his disciples, for his friends, for me, for you. Don't walk away from that too fast. Fight for those friendships. Parallel, we need to be in friends. We need to be friends with those who are in parallel pursuit. I, I had the, uh, um, the privilege, what a blessing. This past Thursday night, I got to baptize some college students in, in, in the pool in someone's backyard. One thing I noticed in, in, in all of this is, is that the people that they wanted there the most that were around that pool watching them get baptized were their friends the people that they're doing life with, the people that they're running the race with. That was who they wanted there. People that are in parallel pursuit with them. Third thing we see in this passage is, is that friendship requires a demand of selfless sacrifice. Look at, look at verse four. There's so much right here. It says, when Jonathan takes off his armor, when he takes off all of his weapons and gives them to David, it tells us a lot about what Jonathan thinks of their relationship. It says a lot about what he, said, what he thinks about David. There's three points of sacrifice here. First thing is this, Jonathan's gift acknowledged that David will now be king instead of him or his dad. I mean, here's Jonathan, he's, he's an heir to the kingship. I mean, maybe this is something that he's been dreaming of all of his life. He's going to be king. It's gonna be a natural handoff from, from Saul down to Jonathan someday. And when David, and when Jonathan makes this gesture, he realizes in that moment, his kingship is gone, not only for him, but for his dad. It was a moment of great sacrifice. The second sacrifice is that Jonathan wanted to dress up David well. He wanted to be well-dressed for the king's court. David was going to have to go and appear before the king's court, and he's, he's a shepherd. So he's dressed like what? A shepherd. David said, no, here's my robe. Here are all these things that I'm going to give to you. Now, this wasn't a light gesture. You ever had a friend that dresses you up? You ever had a friend that, like, like you walk and you're meeting them, and you walk into that room, or you walk into that, that place that you're meeting them, and they introduce you, and they start talking about you, and they say, well, here's Rob, and he's, he's done this, and he, he did this, and he was a part of this, and you're like, you're, like, thinking to yourself, like, that person's in the room? Who? Who? Oh, that's me. That's me. That's right. Let's go. And I walk into that room so confident and so encouraged by how that friend has dressed me up. I need people like that in my life. That on my worst day, on my darkest day, when I feel dressed as a shepherd, they'll pick me up, they'll rescue me, and they'll bring me and say, look, I'm dressing you up as a print before the court. I need Jonathans in my life like that. And we need to be Jonathans like that in other people's life as well. It was not a light gesture. Some of those things that, that he gave David were things that were, were given to him by the king. Some of those things were handed down to him. Some of his weaponry were handed down to him as a rite of passage because he reached a, a certain level of battle. That was not an easy, light gesture at all. It was a big, huge sacrifice, and sometimes we're called to make those 
in our friendships. Third part of that is his, obviously he had to sacrifice his relationship with Saul, his father. See, it says in the next chapter in verse two, it says, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I'll go out and I'll stand beside my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. You see, when, when you discovered Saul's plan to, to, to murder David, he had to make a choice. Is the, the relationship I have with David, is that friendship worth more than the trust of my own father, of the king. And so in that moment, it says, David uh, learned what, what, how much it would cost him, and he, and he sent David away to go hide, and they came up with this, this plan. And then Saul gets suspicious and says, why is, why is David not here? Why is he not at dinner? And then Jonathan, again, makes a choice. I have to lie right here. He said, oh, he asked me, and I said he, he had permission to go to a feast to which Saul responds in an jealous rage again because now he sees the allegiance of Jonathan to David and he realizes he's more allegiant to him than he is to the king, his dad. I mean, this guy's crazy, let's face it. I mean, I don't know what the title of this reality show would be, maybe like The Palace Life or something like that, but it's got more drama in it in this one passage than, than The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, it's crazy. This guy's lost his mind. I mean, one minute, David, come on in. Come sit at my, my table. We'll have dinner with us. And then he's like running for his life. A couple weeks later, hey, David, just kidding. Come on back in. We love you. And then he's getting upset at his son. And he's, he's grabbing a, a spear. And the Bible says he, he chucked it at his own son. And, and the writer of 1 Samuel makes an observation right there. He says, so Jonathan knew in that moment that the father was, his father was determined to kill David. There was no turning back from this. And Jonathan knew that his relationship with, with Saul would never be the same. He was going to be put into death. That was his intent. And so, and so Jonathan, to protect David, moves on. He says, the next morning they went out into the field, right? They go out in the field and they have this exchange and it was a, a heartfelt goodbye. He's like, David, you got to go. And so he protects David from his father. It was great sacrifice. Never knowing if they're going to see each other again. Jesus said in John, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan put his life on the line for his friend. How about you? Are we willing? Are we, are we close enough with those people around us? I mean like our true friends. Are we close enough with them that we'd lay our life down for them? Have we surrounded ourselves with people that would do the same for us? I can't think of the word relationship or, or friendship without thinking about the term loyalty, right? We want to have that loyal friend that never leaves us. Friendships are a treasure, but they are also a responsibility. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, we don't want to be a fair-weathered friend. There's a song I hear from time to time that says, fair-weathered friend, you didn't have my back till the end. You took what you needed and disappeared again. The Bible tells us specifically that we are not to be that friend. We're not. We're supposed to stay and be loyal. When others come and criticize, when others come to bully, we're to stay by their side, to lift them up and to bring them through that time. The beauty of sacrifice and friendship is that it leads to great joy. Now think about that verse we talked about earlier, how Jesus with great joy went to the cross before us. You know, one of the virtues of the kingdom of God 
is just this, is that there's joy comes through pouring out ourselves for other people. But oh, wait a second, what the world says is, oh, no, 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 hey, look out for number one, buddy. Look out for yourself first, and then you can worry about everybody else. And Jesus came and said, you know what? That's not it. Greater is the man who lays down his life for his friend. And he's telling him this. He's telling a group of men that he's been walking with life in for three years. It was a mark of a true friend. Last thing I want to mention is this. Don't hate me for saying this. Just because you have followers doesn't mean you have friends. Amen? Listen, Proverbs 18.24 warns this. It says, a man with too many friends comes to ruin But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me tell you what that means. In other words, it's better to have one loyal, true friend who will stand by you, who will lift you up in times of despair than to be popular with many people. When we become like that, we become indiscriminate about who we let into our circle of friends. We don't don't watch the gate. We let everybody come in. And sometimes that brings with it negative vibes. Sometimes that brings people that will drag us down. We have to be careful who we are in friendship with. Now, I don't mean acquaintances. The Bible calls us to go out into all the world. We're to say hi. The Bible says we're to be friendly to everyone. Preach that, please. We're to be friendly to everyone. But we've got to be careful who we are are calling our true closest friends, those five, those six, those seven, those eight, it might be 12, whatever it is for you. We've got to be careful because, because sometimes they're following us and we don't even realize it, but the negativity that is there, we're actually leading them astray. We've got to be careful. And here's what I tell our young people all the time. Here's what our, our students, we're so image conscious that we're more about, we're worried more about making impressions than we are about making genuine friends. And in, in this day, it's hard with social media. It, it's very difficult. You can easily fall into that trap. If you're not careful, you will craft an image of yourself. You will craft a, a persona of yourself through social media and, and online. And, and what ends up happening is when you craft an image on social media, that image turns out to be an image that you have created. And it's not the God-given image that you were created in that comes out. And, and what happens is that, is that you build your identity based on people's Likes, people's follows, people's acceptance. And because of that, it leads us to a bad place. And it's built on who responds to that persona that we have created. Again, the one in our image, not in the image that we were created in to move forward. And, and also what happens, we create this image, and because we've created this persona in this image, we can't let anybody get near us. Because if people get near us, they're going to see the real us and it's not the persona and the image that we have now created. And so we keep people at arm's length away because we can't let them get close because if they get it, it's going to ruin the whole thing. So we have an important decision to make. You can either have genuine friends or you can impress people. You can't do both and you will wreck yourself trying to do it. It's just a, just a word of warning. So that today I want, I want to ask you a couple of questions. What kind of friend are you being? Think about those people that you're closest with. What kind of influence are you having on those friends? Which of these characteristics, as we look at the the relationship between David and Jonathan, are you portraying to your friends today? I have a homework assignment for you today. 
When we leave here at some point, I want you to go and just make a list of who these close people are in your life. Then I want you to contact them today. Text, phone call would be better actually. And tell them how much you appreciate them being in your life. But also, would you affirm a God-given trait in their life? Something that you can affirm in their life and just thank them for being that to you. It would mean the world to them. We all need Jonathans in our life, amen? We all need to be Jonathans to other people. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we, we have your word in front of us, that through that you can guide us on how to live, how to respond, how to make friends, how to be better friends. God, thank you for this story that we've been able to walk through this morning. I pray that it's encouraging as we think about those who are in our life right now. God, may we go and be great friends with friendly hearts as we leave this place today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.